Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Let's just lift our hands to heaven for a moment. Father, I thank you for this day. Holy Spirit, we invite your presence into this place, into our hearts. We want to obey you today. Open our eyes to hear the truth as it comes forth. And Father, the ears of our heart so that we could truly hear the word of God as it's delivered. I thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy in our lives, for your goodness that you've brought us to this place today where we can freely worship together with you in the name of Jesus. While you're still standing with me, the Bible tells us in John 8, 34 to 36, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. That means any time that you break one of the 10 commandments, or at least the first time you become a slave to sin. The law of sin and death comes into your life and you become a sinner. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. But see, what we gotta understand is, while children are born, you know, alive before God for all practical intents and purposes, and they live in innocence until they come to that place where they realize the difference between right and wrong and the law of sin and death comes into their life and their spirit dies and they need Christ as a savior, just like you and I. If you're living in sin, you are a slave to sin. You're in bondage to sin. But the good news is Jesus came to earth some time ago and lived among humans and he lived a sinless life and he was executed on a tree for your sin for my sin for the sin of the world and by faith in God's sacrifice for sin we can receive forgiveness we can receive wholeness and we can find freedom from the enslavement to sin And we don't have to remain enslaved to sin, estranged from God. We've become sons and daughters of God, full covenant members of his family. And normally what happens is people come to a place in their life where they realize they can't do it on their own anymore and they need some help, maybe some divine help. You can't pay the debt of your sin. You can't even earn it. You can't work off the debt of your sin. In fact, people don't have the ability to heal a broken heart. But I know this guy named Jesus who came to earth specifically to heal broken hearts. Hearts that were broken by sin and devastation. Hearts that were broken by addiction and bondage. And now in freedom, people can walk a different life. We start taking on the nature and the character of Christ. So God calls people to repent of their sin first, turn their life to God. And you get free from the enslavement of sin. Then you have the freedom to start living out this Christian life. And after that, 
There's the public identification or the public testimony where we get baptized in water. And I think that's where the fullest of the freedom comes because you leave the condemnation of the past life in the tank and you start taking on the new nature, the new life with Christ. It's a representation of what happened inside your heart. It's a physical outward representation when you get baptized of what's happening inside because you go into the water and you leave your old man in the water dead and you come up a new person. The new life of God is alive inside of you. And he wants you to be free from your sin, from your shame, from your guilt, and from your past. But if you surrender your life to him, you can start walking in freedom, free from the law of sin and death, free from the enslavement of sin, free from poverty and lack. See, Jesus came to make a way for you. And the second part of this is if you've given your life to Christ, but you've never fully been obedient as Christ was and been baptized in water. Is there anyone in the room today that God's speaking to your heart and you know, maybe you're just feeling that little, you're feeling really uncomfortable or I keep looking in your direction and you think I'm looking right at you, actually I am. Today we're going to talk about the Father's heart. We've been working through some social issues here and there. A couple weeks ago we did the sanctity of life. Today we're going to be talking about the Father's heart, which is our conversations that we're going to have here in the church about adoption and fostering. I'm going to start with Baker's Evangelical Dictionary. I'm just going to read right from the dictionary. They did a really good job putting this together, so it was easier to just read it. It says, Adoption act of leaving one's natural family and entering into the privileges and responsibilities of another. In the Bible, adoption is one of several family-related terms used to describe the process of salvation and its subsequent benefits. God is a father who graciously adopts believers into Christ in his spiritual family and grants them all the privileges of heirship. Salvation is much more than forgiveness of sins and deliverance from condemnation. It is also a position of great blessing. Believers are children of God. God has actually adopted us. He's given us the same rights as his son. He's made us his children. He's adopted us into his family. And we have covenant rights with God as Christians. If you're not a Christian, you don't have access to the covenant rights. But if you're a Christian in Christ, as a son of God, you've been adopted into the family and you have the same rights and position with God. Okay, Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Something that a lot of people miss. <laughs> when God sent Jesus to the planet Earth, I want you to understand, he actually had him adopted by his stepfather, Joseph. He put him into an adoption situation. Here, let's read it. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But the before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and didn't want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. Let's think about this. Two people engaged to one another. She becomes pregnant, but they're not active in the covenant sense. How many know... In the natural, you'd be looking at her going, yeah, right. Oh, come on. 
You know how this works, Richard. Your wife's pregnant. You weren't with her. You're not, you're not thinking virtuous thoughts. So Joseph decided, you know, well, I really like her. She's, I love her. So I'm just going to have a private stoning party for her in the backyard instead of in the public square. Because <laughs> in Judaism in those days, that was the penalty for that. You'd get stoned. Stones is when they pick up big rocks and they toss them at you till you're dead. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She wasn't lying to you. And she will have a son and you're to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary to be his wife. And get this next part. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. So not only did he, get, he got married and took her to be his wife, he didn't touch her until after the baby was born. But Joseph adopted Jesus and became his stepfather while he was here on earth. Okay. There's some other Bible characters that were actually adopted. One that comes to mind is Moses. Moses was raised by the Pharaoh's daughter. How about Esther? It seems that she was adopted out too. In Persia, Moses in Egypt, <laughs> Esther in Persia. I'm thinking Jesus adopted, Moses adopted. That's all I need. That's a pretty good list. What do you think? I, I think they accomplished some pretty great things. You don't agree? In Galatians 4, 5 and 7, you can get that ready. I want to read to you back. I want to go back to uh, Baker's Evangelical Dictionary. The New Testament cultural environment was much different from that of the old. There was very elaborate laws and ceremonies surrounding adoption. They were part of both the Greek and the Roman society. When this metaphor came in the New Covenant, uh, primarily through Paul, okay, it's from the Greek word, weathesia, which means place as a son, and is used only by Paul really in the New Testament. The first time he refers to Israel's place as God's special people as the children of god theirs is the adoptive sons he talks about that in romans 9 but the other four have to do with the full scope of god's salvation past present and future the believer's adoption as a child of god was determined by god from eternity and we were predestined to be adopted as his sons through jesus christ it's not a result of any merit on our part but solely the outworking of god's grace and love so in the New Covenant, we see that adoption has to do with our place in God's family, where he's taken us out of the kingdom of darkness, as I talked about, and he's placed us into the kingdom of light. So we're now his children. God has given us the same place as his son, right? See, it says um, to place as a son. We have sonship rights or daughtership rights. In Galatians 4, 5, and 7, uh, 5 to 7, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. 
And because we're his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you're no longer a slave, but God's own child. Since you're his child, God has made you his heir. So see, now in the new covenant, we don't have to live as slaves to sin. We're not enslaved to this world system anymore. God has taken us out of that, and he's placed us into his kingdom, and we now walk as covenant children. One of the saddest things I see in Christianity is when Christians are walking with God, but they don't understand who they are in Christ. And they don't realize the fullness of the freedom that God has placed on their life. And they live still in bondage as Christians. He didn't set you free so you could live in bondage. He set you free so you could live in freedom. 1 John chapter 3. See how much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children. And that is what we are, because people who belong to the world don't recognize that we're God's children because they know him. Does anyone have a brother or sister? How many of you recognize your siblings when you see them? Oh, you guys are way more alert than the first service. You recognize your siblings because they're part of your family. You catching this? But the world doesn't recognize when you're a part of God's family, you're not a part of their family anymore. You're going to live a little differently. You're going to look a little differently. You're going to stand out sometimes. I don't stand out for the sake of standing out. My whole life, I've never stood out just for the sake of standing out because I want to be different. But I just do what God's told me to do, and as I do that, I'm automatically going to look a little different. There's all kinds of situations you find yourself in, and everyone else thinks it's funny, but you don't. Everybody else is going to go do this, but you don't. And after a while, you get a reputation. After a while, people start looking at you, hey, you're a little different. Why? Because you're in a different family. You don't live the way you used to. You don't live the way other people around you are. You know what I noticed, though? After a while, whether it was at school, whether it was at work, or whether it was in the community, well, sometimes people tend to take their shots, because they will. Hey, holy roller. Hey, preach. Hey, RJ, I got this new joke, and they tell me some horrible joke about Jesus that I didn't think was very funny at all. Borderline blasphemous. They thought it was funny. But after a while, when people start walking through some stuff in life and they're going through a hard time, you know who they want to come talk to? The one that's marching to the beat of a different drum. And I'll tell you, you'll hear me say this again and again, wisdom and the fear of the Lord. If you have those two things in their life, they will be like anchors and pillars. And it doesn't matter what's going around around you, you will stand firm. And people in the culture, when they're blowing all over because of this and because of that, when they see you standing firm, they take notice. And when they get a chance because they're in crisis, they'll come around and they'll start talking with you to find out how you can stand secure with your foundation on the Word of God. John 1, 9 to 13, the one who is the true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believe and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. And I really believe that's the greatest miracle, that God can change a heart. He can take a heart of stone and make it alive. He can take someone that's dead in their sin and make them alive forever. We call that the born-again experience if we use the biblical language from John 3. In Romans 8, I got a couple more verses here. 
For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you receive God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. For his Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we're God's children. And since we're his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we're to share his glory, we must also share in his suffering. And some of you said, that's it, I'm going home. I like hearing about glory. I don't want to hear about suffering. Oh, come on, you like to go to church because you want us to tell you good things and how much God loves you. And If you've got the nature and character of Christ in you, you're going to go through some stuff. Life happens. There's some suffering. I'll tell you something. You want the glory of God in your life, you're probably going to have to suffer. That's not as exciting. Nobody wants to hear that. But I think it's a perfect preface for what I'm about to say because in life, when we serve people and we serve others, we lay down what? Our self-will. We lay down our selfish ambition. We take up our cross on a daily basis. Isn't that what Paul tells us to do? I die daily. I lay my life at the foot of the cross daily. I crucify my flesh daily. Why? Because we live a surrendered life. We're here for the benefit of other people to give God glory. And sometimes when you're walking through that process, there's going to be some stuff that you have to walk through because life isn't always going to be daisies and tulips and flowers and, you know, happy music. But that's okay because that, that's a good preface for what I'm about to say. James chapter 1. Pure and genuine religion. This is the Father's heart. In the sight of God the Father means caring for the orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. The heartbeat of Christianity is love. Loving people that can't defend themselves. The widows and the orphans. Don't get corrupted by the world. Yes, I get it, but you gotta love the widows and you gotta take care of the orphans, which is why today we're focusing on adoption and fostering. Because I believe that that's really, really close to God's heart, especially when you look at James 1.27, and the thing is, if you're going to get into things like adoption or fostering, it's going to cost you something. Just like parenting costs you something. How many know if you've raised a child, it's cost you something? Some of you need to go raise some more children. <laughs> and some of you will get there one day. You're like, I've had my fill. <laughs> and some of you might get there one day. But what I want to do at this point of our service is I would like to invite my friends, Craig and Renee, and they did a great job at the first service, and we've asked them to share a little bit of their story with you on this topic. And then my wife will come up a little bit, and you know how she likes to reach into your heart and talk to you, and then I'll come up at the end. Craig and Renee, come on up to the stage. God bless you. morning church uh, my name is Craig this is my amazing wife Renee you'll see it a little more too um, we've been uh, attending WCF usually the nine o'clock service so a lot of you guys are first time I'm seeing you so hi um, we've been attending here though for over 11 years uh, we love our church we love our church family um, we've also been adoptive parents and that and we've also been foster parents we've been fostering 
uh, for eight years now, and we truly feel that um, God has called us to this ministry. We've also been adoptive parents for approximately about three and a half years now. Now, let me tell you how we ended up speaking to all of you today. Several months ago, I approached Pastor RJ to ask him if myself, as well as some other foster and adoptive parents, could come up at the end of a service, just talk for five minutes to let you know of the need in our community. He said, sure. So I thought, great. And then a week and a half, a week and a half ago, Mary called me to say, oh, we have a different idea for this service. We'd like you to share your story. To which I replied, well, I don't really do well talking to crowds, and it's going to be really hard for me. Of course, Mary said, pray about it. The Holy Spirit will guide you. So right away I said, yeah, prayed about it. said no. Not <laughs> <laughs> Of course, she laughed and said, nice try. So then my second thought was, okay, who could I get to do this instead of me? So I came up with some great ideas, but she shot them all down. So here we are. <laughs> so. So a little about me, I love children and love babies. If we're somewhere and someone has a baby, you better believe I'll be holding that baby at one point. Even strangers, like we're somewhere and I don't know these people and I end up holding their babies at one point. <laughs> it, it, it really does happen. It's weird. She just talked to them and stuff like that. And next thing you know, she's like, can I hold your baby? And they're like, sure. If I did that, they'd be like calling the police. It's weird. So I knew I always wanted to be a mom. I don't remember exactly how old I was, but God put it in my heart at a young age to become a foster parent when I grew up. When Craig and I were dating and started talking about marriage, I spoke to him about being a foster parent and possibly adopting one day. Thankfully, he thought it was a great idea. Here we are. <clears throat> After we were married, we attended an information session at Windsor-Essex Children's Aid Society about how to become a foster and adoptive parent. We signed up right away to be foster parents. After we were approved, we started fostering on weekends. We knew one day we would foster newborns full-time, but at the time, my husband and I both worked full-time during the week, so we thought weekends would be a good start. We figured we could work fostering in with our schedule, and it worked out great. We got to know some really great children over the years, and we became really attached to them. We st and we're still in contact with some of them today. If you know me at all, you'll know that I love to make lists and plans for everything. If you know God, you know that our plans don't always line up with his. My plan, or our plan, I guess, um, the plan for my husband and I was to wait a year before trying to have children, and then we would have a biological child, which would be a girl, and then we would talk about adoption. That was our plan. Well, it didn't quite work out that way. It took us longer than we thought to get pregnant, and then we had a few pregnancy losses. At that point, we felt defeated and didn't know what to do. Our faith was tested, and we prayed and asked the Lord for guidance. At this point, we had been fostering for about four years. God spoke to us about adoption. We always wanted to adopt, so we were on board. I called our CAS worker and asked her what we needed to do to update our file to be placed on the list to adopt. Now, because I'm a planner, in my head I developed plan B. So God and I had a chat and I told him all about us wanting to adopt a girl uh, because that was our original plan. I'm pretty sure God laughed at me at that point, but I completely ignored that and just carried on. Um, then we also informed CAS of our desire to only adopt a baby girl. Then we waited. While we waited, we continued to foster on weekends. We have friends who foster, and we would often watch their foster children for them. Over the years, we formed a special connection with a little guy named Brayden. 
we wanted to adopt a girl, so when God started to speak to us about asking CF CAS if we could be considered to adopt Brayden, I was taken back at first because obviously he's a boy and clearly our plan was to adopt a girl. So, but Craig and I spoke about it, about the possibility of adopting Brayden, and we both felt it was right and we had this overwhelming peace about it. One day at work, I was at my desk when I felt a sense of urgency and heard the Holy Spirit say to me, you need to call CAS right now and let them know you want to be considered to adopt Brayden. I immediately called CAS to let them know, and they asked me to write a formal letter stating our intentions. I wrote the letter and sent it in, only to wait some more. At that point, I was confused. I didn't know why we needed to act quickly, and it wasn't until later that I found out why. A few months went by, and then we received a call that we had been chosen to adopt Brayden. It was then that I found out that the day I called was the exact time a meeting was taking place to talk about permanency for Brayden. During the meeting, they spoke about looking for an adoptive family. Once we called and they received our letter outlining the relationship that we had with Brayden, the workers all agreed we'd be a great fit for Brayden. One worker even made the comment that she couldn't understand how I knew to call CAS at that exact time. Well, Brayden's foster mom, who's also a believer, and I both knew it was the Lord directing me. About a week and so after we got the call for Brayden, he was living with us. So yes, it was a whirlwind. We had to work out some stuff with our employers, but God made a way. We fostered Brayden for eight months before the adoption was finalized. Brayden was two when he came to live with us, and he'll be six soon. After adopting Brayden, my husband and I decided it was the right time for me to work from home so I could spend more time with Brayden and we could start fostering newborns. Let me tell you, it's not as easy as I thought to run a business from home while caring for little kids, but with God, it's possible. Yeah, like Renee said, uh, we had a few pregnancy losses and that tore me up. It, it, it was hard. As much as I wanted to have kids, Renee really wanted to have kids. And to see her crying after, after the losses, it, it was tough. We both shed a lot of tears. But thankfully, we had God and a lot of good friends uh, supporting us through this. So with these things uh, being said now, when we got Braden, this, this meant a lot to us. Now that... And uh, now I'm thinking in my head, okay, God finally gave us a child. And now I'm thinking, holy crap, I got to actually, you know, raise this child now. No pressure. <laughs> Gift from God, no pressure at all. <clears throat> now, I never thought adoption would be like this. So um, literally, we basically walked Braden in. Uh, he met his cousins, and they just started playing like they'd known each other their whole lives. So, so watching that, we were to me, I was able to know that this was a God thing and that our family was coming together, the pieces of the puzzle. Another thing that I didn't expect uh, from adoption was how much a piece of paper would mean. When we signed the papers to finalize the adoption, for me, it was the birth of our family. Now, I know you ladies have this labor thing that you think is the birth, but for me, just signing a piece of paper was good enough for me. <laughs> it, it, it meant that I was officially a dad. That Father's Days would be happy. They wouldn't be full of, all, uh, full of sorrow and sad. 
So it was good. The, and now there's also a breaking of chains with the children when permanency happens. We know of a little girl. Uh, she has extreme special needs. Uh, we fostered her on a regular basis. After she was a, after she was adopted, she began to walk. Now, doctors said that there was probably going to be no chance of her ever being able to walk. But as soon as she got adopted, uh, she started to walk. We saw it with Braden, though. We could see it in his eyes. We could see it in his smile. He knew he had a home. He knew we were there for him and that he wasn't going anywhere. So both of these kids, though, they came from awesome foster parents, awesome foster homes. They had, they had great foster parents. So it wasn't anything to do with that. I, I just 100% believe that the process of adoption there, it just breaks spiritual chains for these children. There's uh, so many great kids out there, but they just need a chance at being normal and having a normal life. What I've learned over the years as an adoptive and foster parent is that it's hard. Fostering is hard yet rewarding and adopting is complex. It's never simple and never comes without a child losing their family first. Every child in foster care and every child who's been adoptive have experienced trauma and loss. Even those adopted from birth have experienced trauma and loss. In foster care and in adoption, brokenness and beauty both exist. When I tell people I'm a foster parent, I often get messages like, I could never do that, it would break my heart, I would get too attached, and I understand where those comments are coming from, but I'm here to say something to you. That's literally the point. Will you get attached? Yes. Will it be hard? Absolutely. Will you grieve when a child leaves your home? Yes. But foster care isn't for people who won't get attached and who won't grieve. It's for people who will because that is what every child in foster care needs. They need someone who will get attached, someone who will love them like their own, and yes, someone who will grieve. The church needs to understand that we aren't called to attend service once a week, sing a few songs, try our best, pay our taxes, and then go to heaven when we die. That's not the gospel. The gospel is now. Jesus' message was the kingdom of God is here. If you have a heart for the hurting and a passion to stand in the gap and to advocate for the needy, but you're afraid you could never do that, I want you to think where that fear is coming from. It's the enemy's plan to stop the kingdom of God from manifesting on earth today. Don't be afraid to grieve. Be afraid for what will happen to these children if we won't lay our lives down to love them. Can we get the first slide put up? I like doing that. I've never had a chance. Uh, so we'll just watch that for a little bit here. Okay. Now, there's a bunch of Bible um, scriptures in the Bible that talk about um, fostering and adopting. Uh, Pastor RJ started with a little bit. Um, we got a couple here. Isaiah 1, verse 17. It says, learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead for the case of the widows. You also have Matthew 18, verse 5. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And then you have Proverbs 31, verse 8. Speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. 
for the rights of all who are destitute. Okay, can I get the second slide now? I feel I got so much power up here. So the slide says, people tell me all the time that I'm changing children's lives when really God's changing their lives. I'm, he's just allowing me to be part of it. And we truly believe that. This journey of fostering and adopting has really opened my eyes to see the love of God through these kids. One of the things that always stuck in my head was the fact that these babies, these kids, the teens, they never asked to be in foster care. So my job in my head is to love them as if they were my own. They need to know that there is someone there who will protect them, care for them, wipe their tears, advocate for them, give them hugs while, they're, while everything's still being figured out in court. The kids, this is, you know what, this is why I think I liked uh, doing weekend relief fostering when we first started. It, it was great. They got to have one-on-one playtime for the weekend with us. And I'll be honest, I had a great time playing too. <laughs> uh, we'd, sometimes we'd go to the parks. Other times we'd just stay at home and play. Like there were so many things we did. It, it was almost like therapy for me. It was great. Now, mind you, we're not saying that everything's all rainbows and sunshine all the time. It's not even close. These kids have all experienced trauma, and their world has literally been turned upside down. But they need stability. These kids thirst for stability and a sense of a family that <clears throat> that's what we are for them. Okay? We're a temporary family for them so that they can learn to trust and learn healthy attachments. And please, guys, don't think that we're perfect parents being able to do this, because we're not. There's no such thing as a perfect parent. Uh, I don't know how many times I've looked at Renee and said, what do I do with this right now? And of course, as the good wife I am, I would laugh a little bit first, and then I would help him. Yeah. <laughs> Mainly is like when a diaper exploded on a baby. <laughs> what? I'd be like. <laughs> yeah. We often get asked if it's hard when they go home. Yeah, absolutely it is. But it's worth it to see the child with their parents. God showed me this a couple nights after a little girl who had been with us for about two and a half years. She finally went home to be with her mom. It was great. <clears throat> it was great for them. And I was hurting. And I was sitting one night thinking about it, thinking about her. And then God showed me all the times that she was sick at night and I'd rock her in her rocking chair in her bedroom. The times where she was laughing so hard as I was pushing her on the swings in our backyard. There were so many memories. And then I heard a voice inside this Holy Spirit or God and it said, good job guys. That's when I knew everything was okay. And that's when I felt a lot of the sorrow of missing her, it, it left me then. I knew our job was done. With foster care, the goal is to reunify children with their parents. A foster parent's role is to care for the child, keep them safe, and advocate for them while they're in our care. I also pray for the parents and help them in any way I can. 
It gives me great joy to see a parent reunified with their children. It gives me great joy to know that I helped a parent and their children during their time of need. Yes, it's hard when a child leaves our home, especially a child who's been with us for several years. On the flip side, seeing the joy in the child and the parent when reunification happens is like nothing else. God created children to be with their parents, so he helps foster parents through their grief. Adoption, on the other hand, comes in when a child isn't able to reunify with their parents. Adoption is God's plan to redeem what has been lost. Every child deserves to belong to a family when it's not safe for a child to return home to their birth parents. My hope is adoption for those children. I couldn't imagine not having a family, yet sadly there's several children who age out of foster care and are never adopted. Now there's a lot of awesome foster and adoptive parents who attend WCF, but we feel that there could be more. Many of you are not aware of the current crisis in our community. The Windsor-Essex Children's Age Society has approximately 477 children in foster care, but they only have 160 foster homes. This is currently so because of this, there's a currently a critical need for foster and adoptive homes for children of all ages. This includes homes for infants, school-aged kids, adolescents who have all experienced neglect, abuse, and or trauma. Here's a little bit of information for you, uh, a little stat for you. 85% of children served by children's aid societies come from homes with caregivers who are abusing substances and or who are struggling with mental health issues. These families and children need assistance and they need you to provide a loving, structured home environment for short periods of time or in some cases permanently for those children who cannot return home to the care of family members. Anyone over the age of 18 can become a foster parent or an adoptive parent. The average age across Ontario for a foster parent is 50 years old. Now there is one person that fostered till the age of 90. So I guess you're never too old. <laughs> what I've learned though over the years is that if you love and enjoy children, it's never too late to make a difference in a child's life. The children in foster care need homes who are willing to spend time with them, provide them with love, security, and a sense of belonging. I understand not everyone is called to foster or adopt, but I believe we are all called to help one another. If you know someone who's a foster or adoptive parent, please reach out to them and ask them if they need help. There's many ways you can help. You could offer to babysit, you could bring over a meal. I like food. <laughs> Gluten-free, I like it. <laughs> Not specific. Or simply pray for them. Also, CAS is always looking for volunteer drivers for help with the after-school tutoring program and help with special events and much more. I would like to take this opportunity to encourage each and every one of you to talk, pray, and discern as a family whether or not you are willing to open your hearts and your homes to children in your community who need you. Our experience as a foster family has been challenging at times, but honestly, it's been one of the most life-changing, positive things we have ever done. 
Our experience brought us closer together as a family, taught us to love unconditionally, and allowed us to do God's work by making a difference in the life of a child. Christ calls his followers to support, love, and defend those who need a voice. Adoption and foster care is a mission that will never be complete, and it needs all the support it can get. My husband and I, as well as some other foster parents and adoptive parents, will be available in the foyer for those who have questions or are interested in learning more about the process to become foster or adoptive parents. We hope to see you after service. Thank you. Can everybody just give them another hand? You know, when I asked Renee to do this, yes, she was very good at squirming and trying to get out of it. Um, but you know what? It's, if you don't already know and if you haven't taken that leap, it's very difficult to put yourself out there and be in a vulnerable place, especially in front of many people about something so very personal and in your heart, um, something that you've had to wrestle with and gutted out your Christianity with God. They had to go in the valley and they had to ask all the hard questions and deal with that pain and the grief and the bitterness and the sorrow and ask God why. Why? And I'm not here to stand here to tell you that we have the answers or that I have the answers. But we want to acknowledge that there is a very real grief and sorrow and sadness that comes when a dream is lost and barrenness happens. And it doesn't look like you thought it would look like. And you gave those dreams to God. And you were like, Lord, what happened? You know, we had a plan. This was supposed to look like this. And you feel like your world is falling apart. I have watched and walked alongside Renee and Craig. And there are two roads that you can possibly travel. They chose the road to love instead. That even though they asked God why, and they were angry, and they were hurting, and they were grieving. But in the end, they decided, no matter what, Lord, I will love you. And out of that abundance and overflow of love, God's love that's inside them, anybody that knows Craig and Renee, not just for children, they are the first to help, to give, to lend a hand, to do whatever they can to love and help you. It's not just for the children. But out of the overflow of that, they love. And God has gifted them with such amazing grace to be able to love those children and then watch them walk out of their door 
and pray for them and believe God's best for them. That death of that dream that they had, God is the one that brings life to that. God is the one that resurrects that. And out of that brokenness, out of that grieving, out of that sorrow, out of all of those emotions, because all of those emotions are not wrong to have, we process them with the Lord. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death with the Lord. And we decide, and we have to choose. And we say, no weapon formed against me will prosper. I will choose to see and open up my eyes and know that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. His mercy is everlasting. His love is unconditional and so great. And that if we let him open up our heart in the midst of our sorrow and our grief, God does amazing things. And when Renee and Craig go to heaven, and they look behind them, and God says to them, well done, good and faithful servant. It's not just going to be because Brayden was there and whomever else they choose to adopt. Behind them are going to be the countless number of children that they have fostered and loved and their children's children and their children because of the good seed sown by them to love and to serve and to care and to impact their lives for eternity. Church, we have to come to a place where we don't just take scripture and put it to memory. We have to come to a place where we take scripture and put it to life. We have to do that. The other road that you will walk, and again, if you're here this morning, my heart, I walked with my friend. I walked with more than one friend through this. And I don't have answers. I hugged them. I cried with them. I hurt with them for them. But I didn't have any answers. But I did know that I, they had to decide for themselves, like Renee and Craig did, that God is good. No matter what, God is good. And he didn't take anything away from me. The enemy took it away. God is trying to get something to me. But if you choose to walk down the other road, and that other road is still filled with bitterness and anger and hurt and sorrow and regret, but it is also where you will be stuck with a heart of stone and a death that Jesus cannot resurrect you from because you have chosen to stay there. And that will impact, that will taint, that will touch every part of your life. And it will stop the flow of God, the hand of God in your life. I urge you today to do everything you can within you with the help of the Lord. That if you're struggling with this, to one last time, Lift up your hands, lift up your eyes to the Lord and say, Jesus, help me. I believe that you are good. 
And this is not the end for me. This is not define my life, this barrenness, because you can give life to where there was death. Only God can do those things if we allow him. And if we believe and we choose, it's the choices that we make in the valley and that we gut it out with him. Down and dirty in the trench. And we choose and we say, Lord, I will love you and I will serve you. And nobody can take that away from you when you make those choices. But it, you release the hand of God in your life. And the life that he gives is always eternal. And it will always go out and continue to produce life. Amen. Would you stand with me as we go into communion this morning, please? I'll encourage you all. We believe in this so much that in March, I think it's the 27th and 28th, it's a Friday, Saturday, we're going to be hosting Empowered to Connect. It's a training that will help you to interact with people that have been through trauma. The truth is there's no perfect people, no perfect parents, no perfect kids. I took the training. It helped me to become a better father. My kids might tell you I need to take the training again. <laughs> but plan the date. God bless you all. We'll look forward to seeing you next time.